Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. It won't have escaped your notice over the past few months that inflation has soared and interest rates have started to creep up. This is all having an impact on our cost of living on a day-to-day basis, as anyone who has been anywhere near a supermarket will have noticed. But it also affects the stock markets and the wider economy at large. So, to guide us through this minefield, we'll be hearing from our in-house investments team this week, who will be giving us their expert analysis on inflation, interest rates, investments, and no doubt other things beginning with the letter I. As always, this podcast is for information purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. I'll be back at the end to tell you how you can find out more about that from us. Also, with this episode being about investments, I need to remind you that past performance is no indication of what will happen in the future, and the value of investments can go down as well as up, meaning you could get back less than you invested, and your capital is at risk. And with that, I'll hand you over to Wesleyan's Director of Investments, Martin Lawrence, Head of Investments, Marco Sullivan. But first up, asking the questions, is James Heaney. Now, gents, it's been a while since our last podcast. I can't remember exactly when it was, but what I do know is the world has changed an awful lot since. So while we may have adapted to life with COVID-19, there's been an awful lot happening in investment markets and uh, in geopolitics around the world as well since we last recorded. So I thought it was high time to speak to both of you and get your views on what's really going on in the world particularly with everything going on with inflation, interest rate rises in the UK and overseas as well. So let's kick off with inflation. It's been a hot topic, much talked about in the press in the UK, and the Bank of England's target is 2%. Now, just talk to us about where we are currently and actually where do we see this going and what impact is that having? Yeah, thanks, James. I'll I'll start off. I mean, the inflation target, yes, is 2%. And you're right, this is the number one topic out there at the moment, because inflation seems to be just getting higher and higher each month. Uh, And in recent months, we've seen it go above 5%. And even the Bank of England themselves are actually calling that this will go to uh, what marks something like seven and a quarter percent in in April. So we're kind of on this upward phase and people are just asking the question, you know, how high does this go? And Mark, do you have anything to add in terms of the forecast is 7.25%, but do we think that's realistic or could it go even higher? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, seven and a quarter percent is where the Bank of England are predicting that we top out in April this year. The interesting thing for me is that the bank's own forecasts are suggesting that this will take around two years to get back towards that 2% level. So it's certainly something that's going to be here for for the time being and will put people under pressure in terms of the cost of living crisis that we're hearing out in the press. And before we come to that cost of living crisis, which we will cover later on, let's just try and put the UK into context here with some of its peers around the world. You know, the US, for example, that's just had its highest ever level of inflation at 7.5% for January. And that's the highest for 40 years. So it's longer than I've been alive, might I add. Uh, but what, what's the picture elsewhere? And again, what kind of impact is that having on the world and global markets? Martin, if you'd like to take that one. Yeah, of course. I mean, fundamentally, the central banks around the world are all trying to do the same thing. This kind of be- of inflation that has needed to be tamed over the years. Uh, and there are different you know, measures of inflation. You know, that, that's a key point, really. There isn't just one measure of inflation, even within your own country. There are different ways of measuring it. There is underlying inflation. There is headline inflation. But
But if you look at the major centres, so the US, uh, their inflation, as you said, has come out sort of seven and a half percent. Fundamentally, they are still targeting these two percent levels. In Europe, we've got inflation that's now above five percent as well, and that's some way above where they want it to be. But but Mark said something earlier on, which is really quite key: is these banks are not looking, central banks, what I'm talking about, are not looking to get inflation back down immediately. They have this longer term horizon they're looking at. So as Mark said, two years is generally the horizon that they're looking at. So actually, when they're setting these monetary policies, they are trying to get it down in a kind of calm, controlled way back to those circa 2% targets, which most of them have kind of anchored on. And we can go back to, you know, why is 2% an appropriate level? But it's always much further out so the fact that in the back in the uk we've got this inflation rising at the moment that we think is going to peak round about sort of q2 and that's the current debate actually in some ways that's the wrong thing to look at because you need to be looking at are they going to be able to get it back down within that two-year window right good point actually so we've established that interest rates are going to be going up and inflation is also going up So, Mark, do you want to talk us through actually what the difference is between the two in terms of what's the impact for everyday people and their spending power with their cash? Uh, And even if interest rates do go up, will that actually help to beat the impact of inflation? Yeah, um, two great points there. So I think let's cover inflation first. So that cost of living is manifesting itself in lots of different ways, whether it's the energy price tariffs that we're seeing, whether it's the petrol pumps, we're seeing food prices elevated. So that, that will in in road into or, or eat into people's disposable income so i think that that's key the central bank policy response then is to try and remove some of the stimulus that's been put in place and this stretches all the way back to the financial crisis when interest rates were slashed because we're effectively at the zero levels we're at half a percent now so that that's a 25 basis point increase that the bank of england have put through now these are the first steps to try and to remove the stimulus What was interesting in last week's um, Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee vote, the the vote from the nine-member committee was 5-4, the the five members voting for an interest rate hike to half a percent. What was interesting was the other four wanted interest rates to go to 0.75%, which is just a sign that those policymakers are getting quite nervous at these elevated levels of inflation. And for everyday consumers i suppose what that does essentially mean is that they're going to just be paying a lot more which we're all seeing you know i went to the supermarket the other day and was paying a lot more i noticed for my shop than i was even a year ago yeah that, that's exactly right and i think i think what's changed this time which is very interesting is that because of the initial covid lockdowns people did amass savings because they weren't allowed to go out spend on services go on holiday so that's one point that that people's balance sheets are in better health than perhaps they would have been ordinarily what's also different this time is that the transmission mechanism for interest rates is slightly shifted so i, I think it's about 80% of people on fixed rate mortgages, for example. So this is something that won't immediately cascade through people's finances. It will hit them at the shops. It will hit them at the petrol pumps. But I think hopefully people have got enough savings to help dampen some of that impact. But I do think interest rates will rise over the course of this year. And of course, for professional investors such as yourselves and the investments team here at Wesleyan, I suppose really the most basic objective that you're trying to achieve is to 
make sure that you're securing better financial returns for our customers than what they would get in cash savings or other savings vehicles. And investing is a way to beat the impact of inflation on cash. But I suppose one of the questions that we often get is, why do you even have cash as part of funds when it's being eroded by the impact of inflation? Because that cash is essential to what people could have in a savings account. So do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Because it, it is an interesting question we've had a few times that I don't think people really understand. Yep, I mean, cash does serve a place within a portfolio, not least as, a, as an emergency. You know, it's always useful to have some spare cash around. Within a portfolio, we view it as dry powder. You know, so quite often if there is, for whatever reason, a stock that looks cheap or a bond that's come off, then to have that readily available cash to go in and buy and get that position into a portfolio, I think is crucial. What we also have within portfolios as well are dividend paying stocks. So there's always a steady stream of income that's flowing back to the fund. We have bond maturities coming in. So we've always got this conveyor belt of cash ready to deploy as we choose. Yeah, and I'd add to that. I think when it comes to cash, just consider what you do in your own personal circumstances. Why do you have cash full stop? Now, we can debate whether that's physical cash that jingles in your pocket or whether it's electronic cash, but fundamentally, you're holding it because you're waiting to spend it on something. It's this kind of opportunity cost, as we call it. What is it that you might want to buy that you don't yet know because some bargain comes along? So your disposable income, in our language, is affected by buy things like, hence this topic, the inflation, the interest rates, but there's also the what could you want that cash for in future. So in the funds context, we're looking to see what is it that we could look to invest in going forward that all of a sudden has become cheaper and, and it would really be you know painful if we spotted something that would make us great returns but we hadn't got the money to pay for it. So in itself, yes, cash can earn you a return via the interest rate and of course what we're debating here is interest rates have been so long, um, you know, so low for so long that it's actually been a cost to people and with inflation coming in that's deflating it as well but there's also this opportunity cost that comes in for what could you do with the money and that's really the exciting bit for sort of having your powder dry as Mark refers to it. Of course and you mentioned the other assets that you would be looking to invest in uh, using cash as an example. And I suppose those other assets are really where you do add the value in terms of the management of our funds here. So do you just want to give the listeners a little bit of an example of, for example, a multi-asset fund? And let's go with a moderate risk fund. What kind of assets would you be investing in? And, and what is the current market environment having in terms of an impact on where you're investing? Yeah, I'll start and pick off the easy bits and then I'll leave Mark to put the uh, detail on this. If, if you think about it from the sort of the asset classes that you know, the, the choices we have to, to put investors into, cash is impacted by the interest rates that you can get, the inflation that erodes it that we've been talking about, but then things like fixed income, so these are bonds, these are government bonds, corporate bonds, the other things that we can invest in, by nature that they are fixed interest, that means they are also exposed to inflation risk because inflation goes up higher those rates of interest you get are obviously cast in stone and therefore 
you can't do anything about that. So we then look to the other assets like property and equities and they can actually ride the wave of inflation better because for example with property you benefit from the rents that come in but those rents can have inflation linkage to them so the rents over time can go up and on top of that the value of the buildings over time can also go up and benefit from the general inflation that comes through there. So as an asset class property can handle generally speaking inflation in a better way and similarly with shares you've got the dividends that come with shares so if you invest in good companies the share price may go up but over time if those companies are successful the cash that they generate can be paid out as dividends and those dividends can rise with inflation over time so again you get that in sort of inflation protection within the funds so that's the kind of the general principles but regarding the individual funds mark have you got any comments yeah i think i think it's a, martin raises a great point so so if we you know, look at companies and how they behave with inflation as well. Because if we're looking at the stock market, for example, that those are companies that are also living through this inflationary pressure too. Whether it's the input costs, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's labour costs, and as Martin alluded to, that's quite often where these companies, if they've got pricing power, if they've got good business models, can actually start to pass on through their product prices some of that inflation, and you get a natural hedge from some of those pressures that we're seeing in the marketplace too. Perfect. And you mentioned the costs for companies there, Mark, as well. And of course, we all know that energy prices are rising. Everyone in the UK is aware of that. What kind of implications are there for for businesses at the moment, not just in terms of the cost of energy, but Brexit, for example, or the fact that it's more expensive to import goods from the EU at the moment? There's a lot of different pressures going on. And what impact is that having on companies and also how you look to invest in different companies as well? Yeah, so we've got a team of analysts in-house that are scrutinising company statements for this very thing, whether it's results, whether it's forward guidance, but you're exactly right. We're looking at statements that companies are making around their margins. Are they having to pay more for labour costs? Are they are they struggling to hit subscriber numbers in places? And these are all the sorts of things that, that we're monitoring closely as part of the active management within portfolios to try and see which companies are weathering the storm a little bit better better than others. And I'd have to tell, I mean, the margin question is a key debate we're having because uh, one thing that, that kind of we, we can't walk past is the success of things like the furlough schemes in terms of protecting jobs. Now, from uh, you know, a pandemic and economy point of view, it's been so successful that actually we've reached the situation now where attracting the best talent for companies as they re-emerge is proving really difficult. Now, how that manifests itself is in higher wages. Now, this is where it links to the margins because if you're having to pay higher wages to get the people into your business what do you do if your business model is strong enough you may be able to put your prices up to protect your margins but that then puts inflation back into the system when we go around this spiral whereas if you don't have the sort of business that's able to put the prices up are you going to then take it on the chin as squeeze margins and what impact can that have for the investment itself which is why the in-house team are looking into it to see which of the companies that benefit from this and which of the companies that face some serious headwinds. And in fact, Andrew Bailey recently said, just a few weeks ago, I think it was, about the fact that companies should be very cautious in dishing out pay rises to its staff and even in attracting talent and equally that employees should be quite cautious in requesting those pay rises. Now, we won't go down this route too heavily because we're all employed as well. Uh, But 
what kind of sensitivities does that bring to the fore, if you like? And is that kind of sentiment being replicated in other markets? And do we really think that actually raising an employee's salary or across the board raising multiple salaries is going to actually have that impact on inflation? Is this serious stuff that we're just not really paying attention to? I, th I think it is. Um, if we look at the starting point, for example, in the UK and US, unemployment is down to around 4%, and that, that's a, a very low level. That's what we call the, you know, a naturally low unemployment rate. But it does then give a little bit more power back to employees to say, well, if you're not paying me what I think is my fair value, I can leave, I can move somewhere else. And again, that makes business decisions more difficult for companies. So I think there is perhaps some wage inflation that will come through, not least because of the pressures we're seeing elsewhere. But again, the, it comes back to me, can the company then absorb that? Can they pass it on back through the product? So can they recoup some of those higher expenditures? And I think that's where we're watching the market closely. Fascinating. And it's a difficult one, I suppose, for everyone to solve, really, because ultimately, if inflation is going up, people are being able to buy less with their salaries. So of course, they're going to want more money to spend. And coming back to that cost of living crisis, uh, do you, have you seen any kind of data or anything in the companies that we invest in that actually shows they're struggling in terms of their business models or the traditional business models they've had aren't necessarily working? Because we've seen with the likes of Facebook, for example, that actually their users have fallen for the first time in a long time. And I can't remember the exact, exact statistic off the top of my head. You're coming up, James. I'll, I'll jump in here, sorry. There is a really interesting point that we're arriving at where we're getting results starting to come through from companies and there is, there is a definite split emerging between companies that have been able to weather this and actually have got business models that are future-proofed, effectively, and those that had temporary benefits from the lockdown and therefore going to struggle going forward. So one of the things we've got to get to the bottom of is team is where are the underlying strengths in business models rather than just one-offs that are going to fade away so we've talked about inflation maybe peaking and coming back down but it's also the same for the companies we've got to work out where the overall strength is so we're getting some real gold nuggets clues coming through in results for which ones are likely to survive and to the point earlier which ones are able to pass on price increases because they have strength so one of the names you'll be looking for is, is a company like apple that had incredibly strong numbers because their brand and their product is just able to weather things like this whereas something like a Netflix they disappointed the market with some poor subscriber numbers because maybe we we as an industry had got guilty of extrapolating those subscriber numbers from lockdown too much and now reality is kicking in so if there's one thing that plays to our strengths and Mark can certainly comment on this it's when markets return to fundamentals as we call it when we go back to um, kind of old fundamental analysis of companies paying attention to the valuations that you are paying because ultimately what is an investment a successful investment depends on the price you buy in at and the market is definitely starting to pay attention to how much you're paying for things which means we've got this split emerging and we, we've always been valuation driven investors and it's starting to come our way rather than having uh, you know rising tide lifting all boats the market is starting to say actually that company is genuinely better
better than that one and that plays to our strengths and that's Mark how you've built the team in terms of the uh, the work that we do it's exactly that and we're also looking through the lens of let's say just the interconnectedness of, of the you know the global economy so you know we, we never lose sight that one company's expenditures another income another company's income sorry so take for example a company that's under pressure because labor costs are going up perhaps the decision there is that they cut on marketing spend is that less advertising through the the facebook platform so we're looking at how companies interact amongst each other as well to manage their way through the through these inflationary pressures Interesting, really interesting. And I suppose one of my final points that I want to ask about then really is what we've touched on a little bit already, but it's the markets. It's it's equity markets in particular. And for anyone listening, equities are just another word for stocks or shares, which is a share in a business. So you mentioned earlier, Martin, Netflix, Google. I briefly alluded to Facebook, which lost £220 billion. Um, it wiped £220 billion from the market value recently. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the, the, the record sort of a dollar falls in, in yeah. uh, you know, a stock in a day. So that's why it hit the headlines. It was a big fall, basically. That's a big fall. Mm. Uh, but what, what kind of trends are we seeing in markets? We've talked about the US there. Generally speaking, US and the technology sector hasn't been having as strong a 2022? Yeah, let, let me sort of start this off because I think we need the context behind this. What we're really looking at is is the answer to two key questions, which is where is inflation actually going to settle down? We can kind of all agree that it won't go up forever. There is a point where it starts to come off. So what is the underlying future rate of inflation for various economies? Point one. And I'll come to your question in a sec. You'll see where I'm going. On interest rates, the second question is, are we at the start of a genuine, what we would call tightening cycle? Because we've had false dawns before. If you go back, rates now are broadly interest rates the same as where they were 10 years ago. But if you then went back 20 years ago, they were higher, and 30 years ago, they were substantially higher. And we've never really managed to get off the floor of this low interest rate environment since the global financial crisis, where to fix the world effectively, rates had to be slashed back to virtually zero. Now, in I think in the UK in 2017, 2018, we had a kind of false dawn where it looked like interest rates might be about to go up. But then with the onset of COVID, they had to be cut back and we we're back on the floor again. The question here, which then links into your, you know, what what is the outlook for markets is, are we at the start of an interest rate tightening cycle, a proper cycle where rates are going to go up, not just in the UK, but in the US, in Europe and other parts of the world. So with that background, that's why something like a US technology stock, so companies like Netflix, that then means they are going to struggle in a higher interest rate environment why? Because a lot of their profits are out in the future and they get hurt by higher interest rates. So if you can resolve the what should the interest rate path look like, that allows you to work out which asset class and then within each asset class, i.e. bonds or shares, which particular shares are going to benefit. And that's where it comes back to the research, which is exactly what Mark and the team are looking at. If we can answer those two questions, then almost everything else follows from that. And with our long-term lens, this actually helps us because that's where we're looking anyway. Absolutely. A long-term lens is exactly the right kind of phrase I would use. The team definitely looks to the long-term when it's investing. But in terms of other markets, Europe, US, UK, do you care to 
give some views on where you think this is all going? Where are you kind of seeing the best pockets of value for investment at the moment? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, so at the moment we're seeing, you know, markets watching closely what's going on with central banks and inflation. So equity markets are sort of, they've had a weaker start to the year. They're down very slightly as interest rates are going up for those reasons around valuation concerns. Bond markets uh, have been soft as well because, as Martin said, fixed income investments, when interest rates are going up, their price falls. as an inverse relationship there. So, so that's an interesting dynamic. So in our home market, the UK, we think is probably well placed in this environment of rising interest rates. We already have a reasonable dividend yield on the UK stock market, so if we can get a bit of capital growth as well, I think, I think that's a reasonable total return proposition. The US, we can probably distill into the, the tech side, which could be under pressure in a rising rate environment. But again, that's where we get interested. If there are big sell-offs in some of those names, as long as we think the story stacks up over the long run, then, then that's where we're keen to add some exposure. And certainly, I think in, in emerging markets where there's a big demographic story, young population, very big population, rising middle class, I think there's certainly some interest in the names that we see in that part of the world too. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. Final point, actually, I will have to mention a few geopolitical issues. There's a lot going on in the world at the moment, and it would be impossible to talk about all of them at great length or even predict what's going to happen with them. But with the tensions in Ukraine, with Russia on the border, with its troops, with British politics being in its current position, with Boris clinging on to power by his fingertips, it would seem at the moment, are there any kind of market hesitancies you're seeing around any of these i know that russia is going to be a big one but have the markets already factored in a positive outcome what what are the markets really thinking at the moment i guess it, it, in my mind the uk political situation in terms of stock markets probably isn't as important as people think i mean we're, we're agnostic around who's in power it's more around you know reasonable rule of law etc and regulation is pretty solid in the uk so that that doesn't worry us too much um yes i mean when we look east you know that's where we see some potential issues we've seen China be assertive within its stock market and lead to reasonable falls in some of their heavyweight um, stock market names. Martin, anything else from you to add to that from Mark? No, I think it's uh, quite often you find that the the political background and geopolitical events that you're referring to, it's the impact on the things that affect markets. So if you take something like Russia and Ukraine, what's the impact there on oil markets, on gas pipelines? And if that squeezes the supply of something like a commodity such as oil, then what does that do? And we're back to where we were at the start. We're back on the inflation debate. Does that squeeze the oil price higher? And therefore, is that another wave of inflation that's about to come through the markets? So it's less about does Russia cross the border into Ukraine and it's more about what's the implications of that and for us we have to insert the word what are the long-term implications for us in terms of how that plays out so but other than that yeah I, I totally agree with Mark that when it comes to British politics that's less of a concern because what markets want is stability of the government and rule of law so a stable government is actually better and if you think back to something like President Trump's era in the US the one thing the markets didn't like was the fact they did didn't know what was going to happen next. So having a stable government actually is, is less of a concern. So what does or doesn't happen to Boris is actually lower down our list of priorities. If we can call inflation the interest rates, I think we'll be happy. 
Great. Thanks, Martin. Mark, thank you as well. And that's it for this podcast. Thank you very much for listening and look forward to the next one, which we'll be releasing in the near future. And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Martin, Mark and James. If you feel you could do with some financial advice, you can find out more about what we do and get in contact with us by going to wesleyan.co.uk. There you will also find more information about investing with Wesleyan, including the products available, our investment funds and their past performance. For more regular updates on what we're up to, you can also follow us on Twitter at Wesleyan and search for us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and give us a like wherever you've downloaded it. But that's it for now. So until next time, thanks for listening.